From legendary locals we all know to people you should get to know. Follow Ipswich Today on your favourite app and never miss an episode. Or go to ipswichtoday.com.au Ipswich Election Watch 2020 with Alan Roebuck. This podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which it is produced and pays respects to elders past, present and emerging. After a short break, Ipswich Election Watch is back with Episode 5 in what is a rapidly changing environment with COVID-19 and the Electoral Commission extending hours of pre-polling. Judging by the high early voter turnout, people are still keen to have their say at a council election regardless of the emerging health situation. No more so than in Ipswich, where 44 candidates are vying for just nine seats in the chamber for a new mayor and eight councillors. Coming up today, we'll hear from another former councillor who did not get the chance to serve out their first full term. But first, when is a team not a team? In this local government election, we have three declared teams running for Ipswich City Council, including one husband and wife team, with both using their married name in the interest of full transparency. On the other hand, we have another two candidates who are husband and wife, who have chosen to use different surnames, and who have chosen not to run as a registered team. The husband has been campaigning for up to seven years to run for mayor, after failing to gain any significant vote during a tilt for the top job in 2016. Then, as nominations were closing for 2020, a last-minute change of plan saw him jump from mayoral candidate to a more winnable division, a division with the lowest number of candidates. Adding a further element of surprise, his wife is also his primary financial donor and also nominated for another division at the last minute. It has all the hallmarks of a sneaky, cunning and not overly transparent move. If they are both successful, how can they not operate as a team? How will conflicts of interest work? Before this election, the said couple have both been taking it in turns to strike up what seems to be endless numbers of petitions on the Queensland Parliament website. They take it in turns to attend court hearings. They even frequently share each other's wacky posts on social media and attend the same protests together. Team or not a team? Former Division 4 councillor Kylie Stoneman decided some time ago she would not recontest in 2020 and after a rough few months since the sacking in August 2018 has moved on to a new chapter in her life. As a first-time councillor, I'm sure Kylie can bring to the discussion some very interesting insights as to the working relationships with previous councillors and their group association with the CEO of the day and senior management. Thanks for taking the time to talk with Ipswich Election Watch, Kylie. Hi, Alan. Thank you for having me. Can we start with your memories of being elected and how you felt on election night? Sure. Um, it was pretty humbling. Uh, I wasn't sure, you know, I'd never done anything like that before. I wasn't sure whether I would get voted in or not. Um, I gave it everything I had. Um, but yeah, it was extremely humbling. It wasn't your first foray into the public arena, as I remember. You've been a vocal advocate for the local community for many years. When did that start and what were the issues that prompted you to come out and be so vocal? I guess uh, it probably started back in 2006, roughly. Um, I was an active PNC member, mother of five sons. Of course, 
spent a lot of time in the school. Um, and there was a few community problems going on at the time that uh, it was, you know, trucks going past the school with um, cattle feces coming out of the trucks. There was the capital application going in at the time that we had concerns about, the, you know, the health of the students. And, of course, I, I lived nearby, so residents as well. So I was pretty vocal. Um, and I, I was referred to as somebody who was uh, keeping the bastards on it. When did you make the decision to actually run for council? Oh, that wasn't until 2015. And once you were elected, how long did the honeymoon last? Uh, not very long. Um, so I guess Belcara happened. Uh, there was, you know, the inference that uh, because I'd, I'd been working for a federal member from the Labor Party um, or you know, 2007 to 2016, that um, I must have had the assistance of the Labor Party um, to be able to get up and be elected. Uh, so Bill Cara kind of came along to investigate that. What help did you get? Did you get any at all? Oh, look, you know, um, you don't work that long within... A, the Labor Party branch members, etc., um, without building friendships within the Labor Party. So, sure, there were Labor members that were helping me hand out and helping me on my campaign, but there's also other people that were supporting me and they'd be quite upset if they were actually called Labor members. Well, how much of a difference was your perception of being a councillor to what it was really like? I went in there with the knowledge and the thought that the process was always the council itself was a operation operating machine that continued to operate. Uh, we weren't to touch that operation as such. Um, our job was to represent the residents and feed the residents' views into that machine to try and get uh, some direction and create strategies. And what were the major surprises you came across in that uh, in that period? Probably, probably the the not understanding right from the start how to feed into the budget uh, projects that were badly needed within the division. Um, that definitely was something that you know took me a little while to understand. Uh, you know, budgets and the rest of it are usually done within November, December, most of those decisions are made for the following June. Um, and coming in at March, I found that, you know, a lot of those decisions had already been made. Uh, so that was a little bit frustrating. So how long did it take to navigate the bureaucracy before you could start to make a difference? Um, probably a year and a half. <laughs> uh, wow. Only because of the fact that, you know, budget budgeting happens, you know, pretty early in the piece. So probably about November, I was elected in, I think it was the 1st of April. Um, and so therefore, most of the budgeting had already started for that year um, and had been sorted out. Uh, the following year was a bit of a learning curve of how to feed into 
um, that budgeting process, the the residents' views on what was needed in the area. Sounds like first-term councillors, uh, with the timing of the election in March and then the budget uh, mid-year, basically their first year sounds like you're just a bit of a seat warmer. Yeah, it does feel like that sometimes. Um, well, I've only done it once, but uh, it did feel like that at times. But you, you, you just have to push on and you have to learn it. You have to learn those processes and, and get on with the job. Let's look at council meetings, the activities in the council chamber, how the votes come down. There's a popular misconception, I believe, Kylie, that because a fellow councillor might have the same political leanings or party membership, you all voted the same way on controversial issues. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> so the answer is um, no, that doesn't happen. No, definitely not. I, I, I think that um, there is that perception because some people just go to a council meeting. Um, what people have to understand is there's committee meetings first that really get down to asking the questions and finding out about some uh, a paper that's put before council, um, and then it's you know talked about and discussed. Uh, that's where sometimes changes actually happen to those papers before they get to council, and then they're voted on. Most of the time, you know, you've already had that discussion. Um, I remember when I first uh, announced and David Palti um, was jumping up and down in newspapers because he believed that, you know, uh, party politics shouldn't be in local government. I agree. Um, that's something that I've always said too. Just because I was a member of the Labor Party didn't necessarily mean that that was the way I was going to vote. Um, I worked hard and by myself to get to where I was. I wasn't going to be a yes person for party politics. Well, um, well that's, part, that's probably part of misconception number two, that regardless of party affiliation, whether it's the LNP, whether it's the Labor Party or the Greens, that uh, if you're standing as an independent, somehow you've got to toe a party line. I'd like to think that people wouldn't do that. People wouldn't toe a party line if they were asked to. I guess there's, you know, I was never asked to, but I guess, you know, it, it depends on the person, really, um, at the end of the day. I know that uh, David Palkey came and apologised to me about the original article. And, and realise that, you know, party politics isn't necessarily in there just because somebody is a card-carrying member of a political party. Let's talk about your achievements while being a councillor, Kylie. What, what do you rate as your uh, top couple of achievements? I was pretty excited about getting the arts and cultural strategy through. Um, that had been sitting for some time with not a lot of engagement or excitement. Um but managed to get that through. Uh, there was, you know, further enhancements at uh, Castle Hill. Um, there was a, a place marker put up at Castle Hill, up at Blackstone, um, that looks quite stunning. It, it's visually attractive. Um, did the sensory garden over uh, Bavale, North Bavale, um, which looks, you know, fantastic and gives uh, pride to the community. 
um, managed to do a, a sensory walk, so where, you know, people with um, mental health issues can actually walk along a path and look at the, a board that asks a question rather than people thinking about their problems. So um, there was some good stuff. In this election, I think we have three groups of voters. The very engaged, the mildly interested, and the, oh, is there an election on group? How do you read it? Yeah, I, I think you're pretty spot on. Um, I think there's also that confused group um, where what division am I in and who's running in my division? I agree with you. There's a group that do want to be spoon-fed. Uh, there is a thing called Google. Uh, we have the internet. It works pretty well. It doesn't take much searching to find who's in your division or who wants to run in your division, how the new divisions work. And, of course, the important thing is this time around, it's two councillors per division. Yeah, that's right. Kylie, what are you hearing from residents about uh, the mayoral candidates and council candidates more generally? Um, I think there's a, a bit of a worry that there is this constant bog down of what has previously happened. Um, you know, those accusations keep on coming out. Um, a lot of people just want it to go away. They just want to see council start up again and just see what we're capable of doing, you know, as a community. Any specific issues you're hearing? Um, not really, because I, I guess I don't see them coming through from the candidates, to tell you the truth. Um, I've been watching a lot of the candidates, because I myself am a voter, mm-hmm. um, and I need to vote for somebody. But I, I'm not sure what all the candidates are actually, what platform they're running on. Um, a lot of it is more about you know, the integrity and, you know, and, and we expect that from our elected people. Um, but it's not, you know, uh, I've found that, you know, a road needs to be needs to be fixed or, you know, community issues. You know, there's a lot of community groups at the moment that don't have necessarily community hubs. And I, I'm just not seeing a lot of that. If you were to look at the major differences in issues through the uh, filter of a former councillor and the city divided now roughly into four quarters for four Mm. divisions, are there any major issues that you think should be talked about that haven't been? Yeah, I think that that there's a a real need for community groups. I mean, I'm, I'm passionate about community groups, so I guess that, you know, I'm one of those people that look at uh, single issues because <laughs> um, I'm not a counsellor anymore. I don't have to look at other things as such. Um, but yeah, community groups are really suffering at the moment and they don't have access to a community hub where they can all network together and you know successfully deliver services that are really needed in the community. Would you go as far as to identify any specifics? Um, we're about to lose the humanity centre um, in Ipswich. Uh, that 
has been talked about for so many years, it's not funny. But it is going to happen in the next year. And there's a lot of community groups that have no idea of where they're going to go. Um, and I've got to say, you know, divisional officers, um, although there has been this uh, concept that they were a waste of money, they definitely had a, a purpose. And that one of those purposes was to actually have small groups that, you know, uh, the Pink Beavers or, you know, Aberdeer Fishing Club, uh, little groups that don't make big money, but they do provide a service in the community for activity and social interaction. They no longer have a place that they can actually meet. If council can come up with a, with a concept of community meeting spaces spread strategically throughout the city uh, as opposed to having divisional offices and that would that would fill some of the gap for sure, I think. Oh, definitely. I think, you know, yeah. Um, and and that, that's great. That could be done. I think that, you know, there was a report some time ago that actually discussed where those community hubs needed to be. And so, yeah, it would be great if somebody actually took up that banner and started you know, pushing for that to occur sooner rather than later. One last question. We've got a big change in the way we vote for councillors at this election. We've got multi-councillor divisions, the first council in Queensland to have that, even though it's common interstate. I haven't seen a lot of education on the different voting methods for mayor and councillors. How do you see the level of informal vote panning out? Yeah, I... I think that the informal vote's going to be pretty high. Um, I, I, I think for a number of different reasons. Uh, and one of them obviously is that they don't understand that they have to vote one and two. Just voting one for uh, a councillor will actually make their vote invalid, um, which I don't quite understand why that is the case. Um, I also think that, you know, there's also this, disconnected voter um, that's really not interested and don't want to bother. So I think that that's going to play a hand in it. You know, we often see uh, a number of uh, voters that don't bother turning up. They're willing to cop a fine. Whether they cop the fine, I don't know, or whether that's written off. Um, But there's always been, you know, definitely, say, 20% at least at times, of people that don't even bother turning up to vote. Mm. And this time, of course, we've got the added cloud of uh, COVID-19 over us. So it's it's uncharted waters all round. Definitely, definitely. And I do think that, you know, and I went through Belcara, so for me, I, I don't quite understand why they have taken this approach with the one-two because it almost forces candidate to put the one-two on their how to vote, um, which then almost gives the perception of a team. Yes, and I have seen uh, some of those how to vote cards already, but I think on balance I'm seeing more without a number two, but just a message on the how to vote that says, don't forget to number number two. Okay. Some, some are having going down one path, some are going down the other. But let's hope yeah. the message is made clear on uh, on election day and at pre-polling. That's right. That's right. Because it's important. You know, people need to get out there. They need to vote. 
and they need to vote properly. And on that note, Kylie Stoneman, thank you so much for your time uh-huh. and uh, thank you for talking to Ipswich Election Watch. Thanks, Alan. Ipswich Election Watch. Music on this podcast is courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn. This is Alan Roebuck. Thanks for listening. Enjoying Ipswich today? Please share the love on your socials.